Taking the Long View. This week, of course, is dominated by the budget. And coming on a Wednesday, it telescopes my deadlines. Not helped by the fact that I'm on jury service this week and the judge won't let me take my laptop into court. Who needs a jury anyway when we now have the thinking power of Google's deep mind? Deep thinking has been going on at the National Infrastructure Commission, thinking about tunnels under the Pennines and more tunnels under London, among other things. I bring you sounds of the past, and a very little about Hinkley C and EDF, because I think we've all had enough of that. And do you remember COP21? Americans are claiming that President Obama had no constitutional right to enter into the agreement. Hello, yes, this is Anthony Day, and here is the latest edition of the Sustainable Futures Report for Friday the 18th of March. Let me take a moment to remind you about the Sustainable Best Practice Exchange coming up on the 14th of April. Go to sbpe.co.uk and book now before you go away on your Easter holidays and before the tickets run out. If you can't make it, or even if you can, you might be interested in the report of the Sustainable Best Practice Survey, published at a very reasonable £25. But, just for you, if you go to the front page of sbpe.co.uk today, you can download a copy absolutely free. The National Infrastructure Commission was announced by George Osborne in October's autumn statement and has already published three reports. Smart Power, Transport for a World City, that's the one about more tunnels under London, and High Speed North. The National Infrastructure Commission is headed by Lord Adonis, and when he was a government minister he was highly respected for mastering his brief. High hopes, therefore, for his performance in this role. Smart Power. Here's what it says in the website. The National Infrastructure Commission was asked to consider how the UK can better balance supply and demand, aiming towards an electricity market where prices are reflective of costs to the overall system. The Commission's central finding is that smart power, principally built around three innovations, interconnection, storage and demand flexibility, could save consumers up to £8 billion a year by 2030, help the UK meet its 2050 carbon targets and secure the UK's energy supply for generations. The report Smart Power makes practical recommendations to this end, not new subsidies or substantial public spending, but towards the creation of a level playing field and a better managed network. This is a refreshing approach. Up till now, the energy debate seems to have been mainly about supply and very little about demand. It'll be interesting to see how this is developed into government policy, and in particular how demand can be controlled at the consumer level. It'll be interesting to see as well if the government will implement its Commission's recommendations. The Northern Powerhouse is one of George Osborne's pet projects and the Commission's High Speed North report was given plenty of publicity in advance of the budget. On this issue, the website says, Our central finding is that the North needs immediate and very significant investment for action now and a plan for longer term transformation to reduce journey times, increase capacity and improve reliability. 
On rail, this means kickstarting HS3, integrating it with HS2, and planning for the redevelopment of the North's gateway stations. On roads, investment shall be brought forwards for an early boost in capacity on the M62, the North's most important east-west link, alongside funding to identify and assess proposals for tackling a range of other strategic challenges. They say that the development of the HS3 should begin between Manchester and Leeds, the two largest economies of the North. Phase 1 should reduce journey times from 49 to 40 minutes and increase capacity by 2022. Phase 2 could cut times to just 30 minutes. An integrated plan covering both phases should be drawn up before the end of 2017. These are very encouraging deadlines, promising some service improvements as soon as 2022. In the context of major capital projects, that's pretty rapid. But we're only talking about cutting journey times from 49 minutes to 40. The Phase 2 target is to cut the journey time to 30 minutes, about as long as it currently takes to cover the same distance between London and Reading. But there's no date set for that. Of course, these improvements have been promised before just before the last election, for example. They've also been deferred, just after the last election. So far, Osborne's budget has promised £300 million to make sure that the plans can be completed by 2017 deadline. £80 million was also made available for planning the North-South Crossrail 2 from Hertfordshire to Surrey, the subject of the Commission's third report. The actual cost of constructing Crossrail 2 is estimated at around £30 billion, but no figures for the cost of HS3 have been suggested. The key question is where the money will come from. While it might be irresponsible to borrow to cover current expenditure, with the lowest interest rates for some 80 years, this surely is the time for government to borrow to invest in infrastructure for long-term benefit. Mr Osborne's policy is not to do this. A missed opportunity that I think we and future generations will come to regret. The Chancellor has been criticised for going against last year's Paris Agreement on Climate Change by introducing further subsidies for the oil industry. For the sixth year in a row, he has avoided increasing fuel duty. Petrol is currently the same price as it was ten years ago and significantly cheaper in real terms. He also said he would support the oil and gas industry by permanently zero-rating petroleum revenue tax and reducing the supplementary charge from 20% to 10%. Petroleum revenue tax, PRT, is a tax on the profits from oil and gas production in the UK or on the UK continental shelf. Up until the 31st of December, the rate was 50%, falling to 35% from the 1st of January 2016. Following the budget, PRT is effectively abolished, as it will be set at 0%, backdated to the 1st of January. The supplementary charge is an additional charge, and now the only charge, on an oil company's profits from production. This is cut from 20% to 10%. Talking about a sugar tax, the Chancellor said, I am not prepared to look back at my time here in this Parliament 
doing this job and say to my children's generation, I'm sorry, we knew there was a problem with sugary drinks. We knew it caused disease, but we ducked the difficult decisions and we did nothing. In future years, will he be saying to his children's generation, I'm sorry, we knew there was a problem with fossil fuels. We knew they caused air pollution and respiratory diseases, global warming and climate change. But we ducked the difficult decisions and we did nothing. This is Anthony Day with the Sustainable Futures Report. Don't forget your complimentary report on the Sustainable Best Practice Survey. Just follow the link on the sbpe.co.uk homepage to download. Do it now. This free offer cannot last forever. Still to come. Why artificial intelligence is all go. Reactions to COP21 and those sounds from the past. Google's deep mind beats Go world champion. Go is an ancient Chinese board game which has been proved to have more possible moves than there are atoms in the universe. It's infinitely more complex than chess. And AlphaGo, a computer program from DeepMind, has just beaten the world champion. Out of five games, it won four, and the champion won one. Why is this important, and what has it got to do with sustainability? Because there are so many possible moves in the game, the computer cannot win by brute force, by trying every possible move before making its choice. There are just too many choices. The machine has trained itself, a bit like a human, by practising, playing the game again and again. It has the advantage that it can play very much faster than a human, and it can remember everything that it has learnt. It can't actually move the pieces, and it can't make a cup of tea after the game, so it isn't going to take over the world very soon, but the implications for jobs and employment are significant. We have already seen machines take over routine jobs in supermarkets, banks, libraries, filling stations and post offices. The next generation of artificial intelligence is starting to think, to weigh up possibilities and evaluate strategies rather than just make simple rule-based decisions. This means that previously skilled professions like the law and accountancy may increasingly use expert systems instead of paralegals or article clerks. The Treasury and the Financial Conduct Authority are evaluating robotic financial advisors, which are already available online. As more jobs are automated, there will be even fewer opportunities for young people, graduates or not, to get worthwhile employment, or any employment at all. It'll probably also displace older workers, many of whom are struggling to reach higher pension ages. A sustainable economy must surely depend on a degree of social equity, and until now paid employment has been the means of wealth distribution. If there are no longer jobs for all, the risk is that the divide between rich and poor in society will become dramatically wider. One suggested solution is a basic income for all, paid regardless of employment status, so everyone can enjoy a basic standard of living. 
It would give people security between jobs, help those too ill to work, and provide a buffer while people work to set up their own businesses. Presumably, it would be clawed back through the tax system from people on higher incomes. It would replace some existing benefits together with the related administration costs. Justin Trudeau, the new Canadian Prime Minister, is an advocate of the idea, and there are moves to set up a pilot scheme in Ontario. We live in interesting times. COP21, the Paris Climate Change Agreement, is strongly opposed by many politicians in the United States. Some claim that it is an international treaty, and therefore beyond the power of the President to accept unilaterally. Here's an extract from a paper by Stephen Groves, Senior Research Fellow at the Margaret Thatcher Centre for Freedom. Unless and until the White House submits the Paris Agreement to the Senate for its advice and consent, the Senate should block all funding for its implementation, including any funds for the Green Climate Fund or any other financing mechanism included in the President's Umbrella Global Climate Change Initiative. Congress should also withhold funding for the United Nations Framework on Climate Change to prevent future administrations from participating in COP meetings and causing additional harm to US national interests. Finally, Congress should take preventative legislative measures to ensure that no funding tied to implementation of the Paris Agreement is authorised or expended through other vehicles such as appropriations for the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, or other executive branch agencies. You can find the complete text at heritage.org. Interesting times indeed. Last week I told you that I was going to visit Queen Street Mill. This is Anthony Day and today I'm at Queen Street Mill in Burnley and behind me you can hear that steam engine racing away. This I believe is the last steam-powered textile mill in the world and I've come here to have a look at it while it's still here because I heard rumours that it may not last forever. I'm now in the weaving shed and there is a tremendous amount of noise as I'm sure you can hear in the background. There are 300 looms in this room which must be a hundred yards from front to back it must be almost as wide. Now there's only one loom running. In fact, it's just about to start again and you'll hear the bang of the flying shuttle. There it goes. Imagine what it would have sounded like when every single one of the 300 looms was running in this room. And of course, they're all driven off that shaft off that engine back up in the engine room. That's a really peaceful place by comparison, isn't it? It's more than a rumour that the mill, along with other museums in the north, will close, although it's not clear exactly when. On Saturday the 12th of March, the I newspaper published a front-page article about it headed Betrayal of the North. I wrote this letter, which they published the following Monday. 
Thank you for Saturday's report on museums at risk in the north. Last Thursday, I was at Burnley's Queen Street Mill, taking photos, video and sound recordings before it's all gone. This is not just the last mill of its type in Lancashire. It's the last working steam-powered textile mill in the world. It will be open until the end of the month, including the whole of the Easter weekend, but after that the staff are not clear what will happen. They fear that if it's locked up and left, it will just rust and never run again. Regardless of whether these museums are in the north or the south, they are an irreplaceable part of our heritage and an educational resource. It would take a relatively small amount of money to preserve them by comparison with, say, the £60 million of public money promised to London's private Garden Bridge. Perhaps George, Northern Powerhouse Osborne, could make a gesture in Wednesday's budget. Did he make a gesture? Well, he didn't say anything about it in the speech, but there may be something in the budget book. I'll have a look at that over the week and let you know what I find next time. Not much to say about Hinkley C and EDF. Not much that you won't have heard about already. Although last Sunday, the Observer suggested that it was one of George Osborne's pet projects and cancellation could mean the end of his leadership hopes. It all goes to show that if you look hard enough, you'll always find a silver lining. That's it for another week. This is Anthony Day winding up your weekly Sustainable Futures report, urging you to sign up for the Sustainable Best Practice Exchange at sbpe.co.uk and dashing off to find more interesting and important issues to report on. Of course, if you have something to say, something to ask or something you think should be covered, please get in touch. That's mail at anthony-day.com. Yes, that was the Sustainable Futures Report. This is Anthony Day, and that's the end.